Amen. Oh, man, Keegan. Oh, gosh. I've seen that like 16 times to prepare, and it hits me the same every time. If you are in that position where it feels hopeless, today we have a message of hope for you. Oh, I, I want to start off by asking, what is your favorite Christmas memory? Think back. It, it could have been the time when you, know, you were a kid and you got that present that you had always been wanting. It can, it can be maybe that, that first Christmas that you spent together with a significant other. What was your favorite Christmas memory? Kid, kids, how many of you, any kids in the room? Kids, how many of you in the room are wanting this Christmas to be the best Christmas ever? Raise your hand. This Christmas is going to be the best Christmas era ever, right? Okay, parents, this is on you. It's not on Santa, right? Santa's done his thing. He's already loaded. The elves have loaded it up. Now it's on you to make this Christmas the best Christmas ever. Well, I grew up in an era filled with the best toys ever. I grew up in the 90s. Any other, like, the 90s have become a, like, fad now where people look back and they're so excited with their 90s music t-shirt. They were in their Michael Jackson Thriller t-shirt, and now it's cool. Little do they remember the 90s at all. Anyone listen to music in the 90s? You had to carry a binder with 6,000 CDs in it. Did anyone even know what a CD is? Before that, it was tapes. How, how did you even do that? Uh, the 90s had the best toys ever. The 90s, I remember the 90s. You know, we look back at the 90s, and I remember specifically stuck at soccer practice. Anyone ever had this experience where you couldn't just call your mom and be like, Mom, where are you? You had to just think, like, they left. I don't, but now I'm stuck. And what do you do? You can't just sit there and look at your phone. What do you do? You stare at your shoes. Then you look up at the clouds and then back to the shoes. Like there like the nineties was, it was an awesome time for music and for toys. It wasn't a great time uh, for entertainment. But I, I remember one specific toy, one Christmas toy in the nineties that captured my attention. And I, I brought it here to show you all this Christmas Eve, the best toy ever in the 90s was, was this right here. Anyone ever remember the, the moon boots or the moon shoes? All right, so kids, we have a sermon search that you're filling out. This is one of the codes on the sermon search, the moon shoes, okay? These things were rocket launchers for your feet. You put them on, they're little trampolines, and you jumped on them, Okay. This is the reason I still have bad ankles. This right here was the best gift I ever received in the 90s. I love growing up in the 90s. One of my favorite Christmas memories is opening up that, strapping those things to my feet and jumping 19 feet in the air and dunking a basketball for the first time. It was, it was so, so awesome. In the 90s, we think like, okay, we totally make sense how Kevin was left home alone, right? That totally <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, he's not calling mom. He is home alone. One, one specific Christmas memory that I, I just, uh, I hold, I treasure in my heart. I didn't at the time. Uh, Anna and I were in ministry. I was in, in youth ministry. We lived in Kansas City. Our whole family lived in Colorado, and uh, Christmas Eve, you know, kind of a big deal in church. And so we, we were there, we, we did the Christmas Eve service, we went home, and it was just us. And then the next day, it was, it was just us. And I remember just reflecting on this story in Luke chapter 2, right? No parties, no, no presents, 
no family around, no great meals, because neither of us can really cook that well. It, it was just us and, and stuck with this story. And so if you would open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at a familiar story. And you've probably heard this story before, uh, but, but we tend to lose the essence of the story with all its cute cuteness, right? There, there are shepherds, there are sheep, and we think of shepherds with their cool staffs and the little cute sheep, but we really lose the essence of this, that, that Jesus came for sinners, he came for the broken, he came for the messed up, he came for the messy, he came, came from the downtrodden, he came for the poor, he came for us. And that's the message I want to show you this morning. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And it says, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field watching over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For who people? All All people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great, uh, with the angel, a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, peace among those with whom he ha- was pleased. Now, now thinking of that that situation, there were, multiple people that the angel could have appeared to that night. If you look, he could have, could have appeared to Herod, right? The king of the region. He could have, they could have appeared to Herod and declared this majestic birth that just happened. They could have gone and they could have gone to Rome, the power of the day. Could have gone to Rome and, and declared, hey, the king of the world is here. They, they could have gone to the high priest chambers, and told the high priest, the religious leaders, hey, look at this great thing that has happened. But instead, who did they appear to? Shepherds. Who does it, what does it say there? That, that they, with whom they were pleased, with whom that they favored. Instead of, uh, instead of announcing the birth to the powerful, to the elite, they chose to announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds. And who were shepherds? Shepherds were illiterate, they, they really, they were the people in society where they didn't get a job, it didn't make sense, they never got married, nobody married them, and so what did they end up doing? They ended up shepherding, right? It was, it was the worst job that you could ever have. They could, couldn't even sell themselves into slavery, so they went into shepherding. And so they would shepherd, and, and based off of who the angels chose to appear to that evening, who is it that God favors? Shepherds. The shepherds were dirty. They were so low class that their testimony wouldn't even be accepted in court. These were the lowest of the low. And so of all the people in the world that God chose to announce the birth of Jesus, he chose shepherds. And so what does that show you about those who God favors? I'm gonna give you just four things this Christmas Eve. The first thing that God favors is God favors the poor. Poverty is not a sign that God has left you. Poverty is not a sign that God has failed, failed you. It doesn't mean that you are second class. What we know from scripture is that blessing is not about material things. It's about God's favor. It's about God's goodness. And so who does God favor? He favors the poor. 
the shepherds didn't have a lot of stuff. They didn't have a lot of things. They practically couldn't have a lot of things. And so they were the poor, they were the outcasts. They were outside the city most of the time with not a lot of material possessions and God favored them. What we see in the scripture is that sometimes the poor are in a better position to receive God's blessing because their hands are empty. They're not so full of stuff and things and distractions. They're empty. And so they're in a better position to receive God's blessing because they're available. And by the way, uh, Drew mentioned this, but if you are struggling this Christmas Eve, we want to know about it. Today, we're taking a whole offering that 100% of that is going to just help people in the church and specifically in this community that we can practically serve you. We want to know if you're struggling, we wanna be able to help you. But, but even more than that, today we want to give you the assurance that, that Jesus is with you and that you can have that peace with God, that heaven and all of its riches are yours. The second type of people that, that God favors is, are those whose lives are messy. Nobody looked up to the shepherds. They were nobody's idols. They were nobody's favorite people. Nobody looked up to them. They did not have it all together. And maybe you feel like this today, that your life is just messy. And maybe you put a good like Instagram version of yourself out there. Maybe a good like church face, like oh, I'm I'm good. Look at look at my cute little family. We all match at home. It's just a disaster. You're constantly arguing, right? God favors those whose lives are messy. Those who whose lives are fraught with addictions. Those whose lives look like an embarrassment, and you're embarrassed about it. And it causes you to distance relationships. And it causes you to, to separate yourself because you don't want your mess touching them because they have the perfect life and your mess is over here. I just leave my, my mess over here. God favors the messy. God favors you. Not the fake Instagram version of you, but the, the real you. You're one of my favorite names that that God gives Jesus is the name Wonderful Counselor in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter nine, he calls him the Wonderful Counselor. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. And what it means is this counselor is a reliable guide. What is, what is a reliable guide? It's for those who don't know where they're going. Anyone never, ever navigated this whole life before? We need a reliable guide. We need a shepherd who has walked through the darkness. We need a shepherd who has been there before. And he says, I am that reliable guide. Jesus came for those whose lives are messy. People whose lives are all fixed up, all clean, they don't need a counselor. Who goes to a counselor? Those whose lives are, are a little bit messed up. You don't go to a counselor and say, here's $150 of my money and an hour of my time. I'm, I'm just doing just fine. No, you go to a counselor because you need a guide. You need somebody who has walked through it. A counselor is for those who feel overwhelmed, who feel lost, who have problems. If you have problems in here today, Jesus came for you. This might be the most overstated statement that you'll ever hear this Christmas, but it sums up what happens in the scripture very, very well. It's that every miracle starts with a mess. Every miracle starts with a mess. Every time Jesus feeds someone, why? It's because they're hungry. Every time Jesus healed a blind person, why? Because they were blind. 
every miracle starts with a mess. And so if you come in here saying like, my life is too messed up for the church thing, it's too messed up for Jesus thing, bitch, you don't wanna hear the mess that I'm in. Every single miracle starts with a mess. So if you're coming in here today saying, I'm a little bit of a mess, then Jesus came for you. But here's the other side of that. No mess, no miracle. If you wanna say, I've, I got it together, I'm perfect. I'll just, I'll put it up there, I got it all together. No, no mess for me, everything's good. No miracle for you. But if you're a mess right now, you're a candidate for a miracle. Jesus healed blindness, he calmed storms, he cured sicknesses, he multiplied food for the hungry. And some of you have been trying to bear those burdens alone, saying, I'll just keep my mess in, in here and I just won't let anyone touch my mess. But Jesus came for those who are messy. Maybe it's time this Christmas Eve to lay those things down at the wonderful counselor's feet. The third thing here is that he favors those who, who felt forgotten. The shepherds were completely forgotten in society. You, would, you wouldn't hear a shepherd's parents bragging about their shepherd kid. There, it's not the one that you talk about at the parties. Oh, what's Jimmy? Jimmy's in college. He just got into Harvard. It's great. What, what's Johnny? Do? Oh, I don't know, but he's out in that field. I don't know what he's doing. That's that shepherd, shepherding stuff. He's not the one that you talked about. There's a story in the Old Testament with King David, right? So the prophets out there, they're looking for a king and the, the, the dad brings all of his sons, lines up all of these strong strapping sons. And the prophet says, where's the, oh, that one? For, forgot about him completely. Shepherds felt forgotten, yet God favored them. Many of you feel that way this Christmas. You feel forgotten. You feel left out. I know there's a, a good group of people here in this church where you, you come to church alone. You come to church by yourself because this is family. You feel loved and you feel cared for, but let me just recognize you this Christmas. I understand that that's hard. I know that there's some of you watching online right now because you feel forgotten by your family. I get how that can be lonely. But the good news is that of all the people in all the world that God could have sent his angels to that evening, he sent them to the shepherds so that very loudly he could proclaim, I see you. Of all the people in all the world he could have appeared to, he appear to the forgotten shepherds. It says, I see you. Have you ever ached to just feel special to someone? Just feel wanted by someone? Maybe it's a, a loved one that you tried so hard and you put so much energy into the relationship and the energy never came back. Maybe it's a parent. You're just like, oh, I've been trying so hard to, to get their attention and still that that love that you search for in that relationship can only come from him. No matter what you do, he's the only one who can fully satisfy those desires that, that you yearn to matter to someone this, this Christmas, you matter to him. Last thing here is that he favors the guilty. The shepherds were considered dirty. They were considered dishonest. They were considered untrustworthy. Now, in actuality, were they any, guilt, any more guilty than, than anyone else? No, but in Israel's eyes, they were considered the guilty, the outcasts. No, nobody could trust them. And see, you see, the truth be told that 
that all of us in God's eyes were like the shepherds were in Israel's eyes. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came for those who recognize that, for those who know that they need a savior. And the, the real scandal of the gospel, the, the real thing that makes it a, a little bit crazy to believe is that the scandal of the gospel is not that Jesus loves bad people. It's that he only loves bad people. The scandal of the gospel is not that Jesus, and, and sometimes we think this, right? We think, okay, God loves those who, who maybe they, like they partied a little bit in high school, but now they, they got it together and they have the perfect family. Of course, Jesus loves those, right? They, they love Jesus, but they cuss a little. The, the Jesus loves those people. Or maybe Jesus loves the, the people who maybe they lived kind of a rough life, like they did some, some dirty things, but at the end of their life, they, on their deathbed, they trusted in Jesus. And of course, Jesus loves those people, but can Jesus love the, the worst of the worst people? Yeah, that, that's, that's grace. That's unfair. Yep, that, that's grace. I don't know why God does some of the things that he does, or forgive some of the people that he forgives or, or what he does. But what I know is that when I was guilty, Jesus forgave me. He says to them, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. Not a, a life coach, not a good teacher, but a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's why he came. The essence of Jesus's life was not to be a great teacher, Yes, he, he taught great things, but that doesn't make it, there's, there are a ton of great teachers. The essence of Jesus' life was not to be a religious guru who said a bunch of wise things. The essence of Jesus' life was not to start a religion that would continue for 2,000 years so that we could light candles on Christmas Eve. The essence of Jesus' life was substitution, that he came for you. He came for me. So stop feeling the guilt around what you've done. He took that. Stop feeling the guilt around the, the, the thing that that person said or that thing that person did to you. He took that. He lived the life that you were supposed to live and died the life that you should have died. The essence of his life was substitution. That's why we can say that the gospel is not just good advice. It's good news. Good advice is, yeah, go trust this, go follow these 10 commandments or follow these beatitudes. Like they're, they're good, that's good advice. The essence of Jesus' life was substitution, that he lived a life that you couldn't live. So maybe, just maybe that makes sense why he appeared, the angels appeared to the shepherds that Christmas Eve, to the poor, the messy, the forgotten, and the guilty, because they were in a position to receive it. And so how did they respond? How should, how should we respond to this? It says, when, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen as it had been told to them. This is the only response 
that's appropriate, and that's worship. I love the, the picture that Rembrandt paints of this scene. Uh, we, got, we have it up on the screen here. Um, you can't see it real well because it's a painting from like 500 years ago. Those things don't really convert to digital media right now. But, but I love the, this picture because this is called the Adoration of the Shepherds. And so it's this picture of, of baby Jesus there lying in the manger and the shepherds coming and worshiping him. And I, I love this picture because what Rembrandt did in all of his paintings is that he made the light exude from Jesus, that he was the light of the world. Notice how all of the shadows are cast from him, that he is, he is the light, he's the center of the picture. And I love in this picture that, that you can see one shepherd specifically reaching out his hand and from his hand, the shadow on the ceiling makes a cross. And what Rembrandt did in this painting is he showed that the essence of Jesus' life was not just to be born, not to be an example or a teacher or a guru, but to be a savior. And in Luke's gospel, he, he paints this very clearly from the beginning of Luke all the way to the end, that the essence of Jesus' life was to go to the cross. Everything that Luke talked about was a journey toward Jerusalem, was a journey toward the cross. And then we, when we get to... Luke chapter 23, we, we get this picture that, that it really interrupts. It's this interruption in the story, right? So Jesus was, was born, but the whole way he's been talking about the cross, that you should die to yourself, right? Pick up your cross, fall. He's saying all these things, and we know that he's going to the cross. And then there's this interruption. There's character Barabbas. And, and so what Pilate does is he knows that he's supposed to bring in front of the Jews, a prisoner to release on this, this holy day. So he brings Barabbas. And so he, he presents Barabbas. And what do we know about Barabbas? We only know a couple things, that he led an insurrection, that, that he caused a rebellion, and that he murdered. Those are the things that we know about him. And so here we, we have Barabbas, the insurrectionist, the thug, the murderer, presented with Jesus the son of God. And so the very things that Jesus is being accused of are the things that Barabbas is guilty of. And so we, we see this story and the story picks up Luke chapter 23, verse 18. It says, they all cried out together, away with this man, away with Jesus, release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown in prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. It's like the insurrection was the main thing and murder was kind of, like, he kind of kills people, but the insurrection's the big thing, right? The, the, he started this insurrection. And, and so Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. The world presents us with, with two options. What, what's interesting is Matthew points out that Barabbas's first name, so his first name was, was Jesus Barabbas. And it means son of the father. And then over here is, is Jesus the Christ, the, the son of God. 
And so the world is presented with two, two choices. And I, I always find it like, why did Luke put this in other than it happened? But, but why did Luke put this at this point in the story? It, it doesn't quite make, it doesn't fit. And I think what Luke is saying is he's saying, your world, you're, you're presented with two options. You're presented with Barabbas and you're presented with Jesus. And reflecting on this, what I realize is that I'm Barabbas. I'm the, the guilty one. I'm the broken one. I'm the messed up one. I'm the guilt. That's, that's my cross. And so I picture Barabbas, right? I picture Barabbas with the, the very sins that Barabbas was guilty of. And, and this is such a, a picture of grace. I, I picture Barabbas in jail, thinking about the crucifixion that he is about to endure. Thinking about the suffocation, thinking about the nails, thinking about the torture. I, I, I picture Barabbas sitting in his jail cell and then the, the crowd starts to gather outside of his cell. And he starts to hear something and it gets louder and he gets louder. Crucify, crucify him. I picture Barabbas as the jailer comes down and just his heart had never beat so fast. He's just waiting and waiting and the, and the jailer opens up the cell. And what, what do you think he's thinking at that time? And then the jailer simply just says, you're, you're free. What? You're, you're free. They've, they've chosen Jesus. And Barabbas walks out and breathes the breath of the freshest air he's ever breathed. And then as he's walking by, I picture Barabbas looking at Jesus. And maybe the only person in all of history who could say, literally, those nails were for me. That death is my death. That Jesus is dying the death that I deserve. He's taking my place. That is the great exchange. That's the gospel. And, and it's not just that. And what, what always gets me about this picture, right? It's not that Jesus just takes our place and that when, we, when he dies for our sins, then we're forgiven and we can, we can just live and we can have this life and then one day we'll, we'll die and go to heaven. No, it's that it's called the, this great exchange for a reason because when Jesus dies for our sins, all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of our struggle and all of our sin go to him. And in exchange, we get the heaven that he deserved. We get his grace, we get his life, we get his gifts, we get his abundant life in us. That is the great exchange. Jesus didn't just die so that your sins could go to him. He died so that you can be called son of the father, daughter of the father so that you could be with him. And so the only act, and the shepherds got this, the only act that we can take before him is worship. It's worship. What else can you do? The gospel is not just good advice, it's good news. Not good advice on how you should live, but good news of what God has done. Good news that you this Christmas can only believe and receive. And like any other gift this Christmas, 
It's free. All you need to do is receive it. At its core, salvation is a gift. Like any other gift, you just need to receive it. And so unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. Have you received that gift personally? I wanna give us just a a minute to respond. And so if we would just just bow our heads and, and close our eyes, have you received that gift personally? And this is all I want you to do. This is all I want you to pray. Kids in the room, if you're at this point, I want you to talk to your parents afterward, but I just want you to to just simply pray in your heart. You're not praying to me. I'm not recruiting you to a thing that we're doing. I'm not asking you to be a part of this church or a movement or anything. I'm just simply asking you to respond to the gift that Jesus is presenting you this Christmas Eve. And the only prayer that I want you to pray to him this Christmas is, Lord, I'm ready. I've been running from you for so long. I've been hiding my addiction, hiding my guilt, hiding my mess. And Lord, I'm ready. I need your salvation. If, it's, if that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Just praying that prayer this Christmas. I see you. Lord, I'm ready. I see you back there. Lord, I'm ready. <laughs>